Mark chapter 1, I'll read and then pray. Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking tonight at verses 9 through 11, but let me begin it, the reading at verse 1. Again, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 be the reading, 9 through 11 be the text. This is God's holy word to God's people here at Peninsula. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Ascends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for your word that is truth. We pray that you would, as Jesus said, that you would sanctify us by it. That you would search our hearts. You would try us and see if there be any wicked way in us and that you would lead us into the way of everlasting. We pray, O God, that you would take your word, that you would comfort us by it, that you would give us hope as we live in a wicked and perverse generation. We live among a people. We are even a people. We live among a people of unclean lips. We pray that you would take your word and cleanse us Make us new. Renew us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have ever been pulled over for speeding, if you've ever been to the airport to fly on a plane, if you've ever been to the DMV to get a license, if you've ever been uh, to a, a voting booth, or so many other places, then you're familiar with the two words here, identification, please. These places that I mentioned, many others, they want to know that you are the person that you claim to be. That you're not a fraud, that you're not a fake, that you're not a huckster. And you too 
course, you too want to know that uh, you are who you are. You want to know that your identity is not being stolen, not being used by other people for ill gain. Our identity, of course, is important to each one of us. Now, if you remember John's story, at one point, had to correct those who were thinking and asking whether John himself was the Messiah. We see that not in our text, not in, math, not in Mark, but in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. They're asking John, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? And John wouldn't, didn't want his identity to be mistaken. In fact, the Gospels make clear, and Mark makes clear here, that John came to bear witness of another. Right? John is a forerunner. He is like the, a, uh, an announcer, an athletic announcer. Think of, of uh, if you ever watched, uh, I don't watch it anymore, uh, but growing up I, I did, boxing. And the announcer would come on and he would describe the boxers, right? He would describe, he would tell the boxers, he would speak of their height, their weight, their punch reach. And then he would step out of the way. Right? He wasn't, the announcer wasn't the center of the tension, even though he may be at the time, but he's pointing to another, he's pointing to the boxer, he steps out of the way. He is a, John was a way shower. John is like the sergeant of arms, who stands in the house of representatives and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, now the sergeant of arms, he has a loud voice. He makes himself known. He cries out, but he's pointing to another. He's pointing to someone who is, at least in office, is greater than the sergeant of arms. Therefore, pointing away from himself, pointing in another direction. Now, John the Baptist, of course, is important. He's certainly important. We see that in our text that... Uh, there were predictions about him in the Old Testament. We see that in verses uh, 2 and 3. And here's how, John, here's how important John was. John, his ministry, was the beginning. This is the way I take this text. Other people take it differently. John the Baptist was the beginning of the good news. John is the beginning of the good news. The ministry of Jesus has a beginning. We see that here. It has a beginning. And the beginning of Jesus' ministry is John the Baptist. The ministry, the person and work, as it were, of John the Baptist. So, again, identity is important. It's an important theme throughout this gospel. It's important in our own life. Identity is important in our text this morning, or this evening. So what I, want you to, what I want you to see here this evening is that we are to identify as sinners to become children of God. We are to identify as sinners to become children of God. And we'll look at this text under two headings. First, be identified with sinners. Be identified with sinners, or identify with sinners. And then secondly, be identified as a child of God. Be identified with sinners. Verse 9, 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, here in verse 9, there is a clear division in our text, a clear division from the, the uh, previous section. Most of your Bibles will surely indicate this with a, a particular heading. Now, of course, the, uh, this section is certainly related to the previous section. There, while it's separate, it's certainly uh, related. And it's in, or it's with the words, in those days, in those days, that separates verses 1 through 8, while at the very same time connects the two together. In those days. In those days. So the natural question you ask is, in what days? Right? In what days is John baptizing? Is what, or is what days, or in what days, in those days, what is being referred to here? And it's the days that John the Baptist was crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. People were confessing their sins. So what John was doing here in uh, this, in, in verse 1 to 8 is what we have, wasn't a one-time event, right? This is a, wasn't a one-day event, but apparently a period of time. And John, uh, over a period of time, we don't know how long it was, but over a period of time, John is calling people to repent. Now, keep in mind what was just said about Jesus in verse 8 in our reading. It says, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, so that Jesus will come, and what will Jesus do? He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John said, he is greater than I. And then John says that Jesus will also baptize. John is pointing to something greater, someone greater, a greater person, even a greater work, a greater baptism, right? But here we have in verse 9 that Jesus will also, verse 8, that Jesus will also baptize. So the one who is greater, the one who has a greater baptism, will be baptized by the lesser, John the Baptist. The one who is not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, he is the one who is called to baptize Jesus. Now, speaking of the lesser and the greater, we're first told that Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of, Nazareth of Galilee. Now, what is it about this particular town? Because most people that you read, most commentaries and dictionaries will tell you that there was nothing special about Nazareth. In fact, it's pointed out that Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was an obscure place. It was off the beaten path. Do you remember what Nathaniel said himself of Nazareth? He said this in John chapter 2, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was off the beaten path. It was a town not far away from trade routes, or trade routes some would say, but it was... Uh, secluded and isolated from nearby traffic. In a typical Mark in fashion, 
he doesn't spend much time on, on this place as well. He mentions it and moves on. He simply notes where Jesus comes from. And then he mentions the baptism of our Lord. Now as you read verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As you read that, remember what John himself is saying and doing. Remember what John said about Jesus' baptism. That Jesus, the one who is greater, the one who is a greater person, the one who has a greater work, a greater baptism, He will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so you, you begin to wonder if Jesus is being baptized by John, you begin to wonder why. Right? If, he, if He is one who is greater, John is pointing away from Himself to Jesus... He says that Jesus is greater, not even worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus has a greater baptism, and then Jesus comes along and wants to be baptized by John. Again, you begin to ask, why is Jesus being baptized here? Because your mind, rightly so, your mind should bring to the question all that's been said, all that's been said of John, all that's been said of Jesus, and your mind begins to bring other scriptures into view here, your mind begins to put scripture together, comparing scripture with scripture, and even in your own mind, and you wonder why this sinless Son of God, this sinless Son of Man, needs to be baptized. John is baptized in what? For repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. He's calling people to repent, turn from your wicked ways. And here, we have the second person of the Trinity. God incarnate. The eternal Son of God. Who we could say of Him, can't we? Isaiah chapter 6. He is holy, holy, holy. Peter said this, He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in His mouth. In fact, we read that in Isaiah, didn't we? In Isaiah 53, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's how our catechism uh, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking himself a true body and reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and born of her, yet without sin. John certainly recognized that Jesus was the sinless Son of God when he tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. John understood that Jesus is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Why is this one coming to be baptized? Again, all that, everything that John just said about Jesus, greater than Him, a greater baptism. All the Scriptures you know, even Isaiah 53 that we read, Old Testament and New Testament, your, your mind begins to wonder, why is Jesus being baptized? It's one of those questions that's asked of pastors. One of those questions that you call and ask Legionnaire Ministry or the Bible Answer Man with Hank Kennegraff, if that's even still around. It's though, this is the type of question that's asked. 
Now remember, John is baptizing, or why is John baptizing? John is baptizing to form a new community, as it were. A new community of people are being established. A community of sinners that were being set apart for the coming of the Messiah. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus, coming to be baptized, has everything to do with his identity. Identity, please. He comes from a place that can be identified as a place of no significance. And here he comes in all humility, identifying with sinners, as if he himself were a sinner. But take notice of this. In verse 5, that's in verse 5, we read it. Verse 5 says the people were coming out. Right, This is what John was calling them to do. The people were coming out. They were being baptized and they were confessing their sin. Now we find our Savior being baptized, but we never find our Savior confessing sin. There is no sin in the sinless Son of God to confess. What we find here in the baptism of Jesus is simply this. He is identifying with his sinful people. It's a sign, as it were, of identification. He's identifying with his people. Jesus came to bear the sins of his people, to take upon himself the sins of his people. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, the scripture tells us, from the beginning to the end. So this baptism again of Jesus is a baptism of identity. He emptied himself, as Philippians says. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being found, being born in the likeness of men. And here in his baptism, identifying with sinful men. Philippians goes on to say, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. The death on the cross. We see that obedience actually, certainly throughout throughout this gospel, but we see that obedience taking place in the temptation of Christ. Where Christ commits himself to the Father's will. Now, have you read Philippians lately? Have you read Philippians chapter 2 lately? For it begins this way. Think of everything we've just said. Philippians begins this way. Have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe what? The humility of Christ. And with that humility... Here, what we see in our text, it goes on to talk about the humility of the cross, but here in our text, the humility of identifying with a sinful people. So first and foremost, you have to ask the question, have you identified yourself as a sinner? Do you know you're a sinner? Because here's the fact. The fact is, this is how God identifies each one of us. Without Christ, 
you are a sinner on your way to hell. You stand at the precipice of hell because of a holy God, not in comparison with other men. The Bible says this, you're a sinner and sin leads to death and you are dying. So the way to life, paradoxically, the way to life is actually to identify with death, isn't it? Identify with your own death. Identify with your own death and the death of Christ. The Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. And He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So identify. Understand that you are a sinner before a holy God. Secondly, are you willing to follow the Savior? The Savior has identified with sinners. Are you willing to identify with sinners? Or have you cut yourself off, shut yourself off, believing as the Pharisee that you were more righteous than they? There are sinners who need their brethren need to hear. One who is greater than they are, greater than us. In fact, he is sinless, but he has come to bear the sins of those who would call upon his name. If we don't identify with sinners as our Savior, if we don't follow our Savior in identifying with sinners, as he has here, as he certainly has in other places, if you don't identify with sinners, how will you be a light to those around you? Now, another question you could ask yourself, are you concerned about identifying yourself as a Christian, identifying yourself with Christ, believing that the world would hate you, right, because you have identified with Christ, because you have identified as a follower of Christ? Well, that concern is certainly accurate. It's an accurate concern. The world, our world today, our culture that loves darkness rather than light, will hate the light, does hate the light, does hate the Lord of glory. Love incarnate, they hated and hung upon the cross. But listen to this, Jesus still came, didn't he? He still came for those who hated him. He still went to those who were dying in their sins, risking His life to save those whom the Father had given the Lord. Are you willing to identify the sinners? Are you willing to put your life on the line? Just like our Savior has done. Willing to go to the places where you might fear. I remember, even though some of you know my testament, I grew up using drugs and got clean at 19 and went to drug rehab and all that. You know, you know some of that. But um, I remember at Greenville Seminary, we were sitting at a restaurant and someone called me and they asked me if I would do, if I would fill in for them at prison um, to preach. And uh, it was so loud at the re- I heard him. I heard what he said. But it was loud at the restaurant. I had to had to call him back. And after we got out of the restaurant, and and of course I'm thinking about this. Right? I'd never 
never wanted to really get involved in that. I knew you, you deal with some of that in, in, in uh, pastoral ministry. You have to deal with those kind of things. But I didn't really, as a drug addict, I didn't want to, didn't want to go back. Anyway, I had no reason to say no. I went and I had the best time, one of the best times of my life. It was good ministry, and I'm still involved in, in prison ministry here in uh, Virginia. So when Christ came for salvation, for our salvation, when we become Christians, we don't abandon the lost. Yes, we're involved in a new community, but that community, as far as it depends on us, is to go, to witness, to be a witness to those who are dying in their sins and point them to the one who without sin, the one who is without sin, but the one who identifies with us. There's much more to be said there, especially when you get down to the, to the, uh, to the temptation of Christ, but that's not what we're dealing with tonight. So be identified with sinners. Be identified as a sinner. A sinner, in one sense, not, 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 not as a Christian now. I don't know in the New Testament... We, we, the New Testament says we still sin, but I don't know in the New Testament that we are called, Christians are called sinners anymore. We sin, and I guess if we sin, we're sinners, but the New Testament, I don't think, calls us sinners. But we still, we're identified, you understand, identify with sinners. In order to uh, be identified as a child of God, you have to be identified as a sinner first and foremost. In order to be a witness to the world, you have to identify with sinners even the lowliest remembering that you were on the weight of hell as well the second point here is be identified as a child of God we see that in verses 10 and 11 it says this and when he came out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being opened the spirit descending on him like a dove And a voice came out of the heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus was baptized, and after his baptism, two or three important things take place, depends on how you look at it. There is the heaven's opening, there is the Spirit descending, and then there is the voice declaring. So in Isaiah chapter 61, we read this. Oh, that you would rend or tear open the heavens and come down. Perhaps Mark here is referring to that passage and reminding us, reminding the reader that, that what is, uh, reminding uh, the reader again of what is being, uh, what is taking place here. Uh, that is predicted in the Old Testament, but also uh, of the veil, looking forward to the veil of the temple being torn into in Mark chapter 15. Here's what someone said about this rending of the heavens. They said this, The rending of the heavens has the underlying idea being that of a fixed separation of heaven and earth only to be broken in special circumstances. And here we have a special circumstance, of course. We have a special circumstance at the transfiguration. 
Perhaps we can even look back. Maybe Mark is even doing this, looking back at Isaiah 61, but maybe looking back even at creation itself. The earth is formless and void, and God begins to break open, as it were, separate, rend, tear, as it were. Doesn't use that kind of language, but you get the imagery tearing open the heavens and the earth. So there is the rending of the heavens, and at the same time, the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Perhaps, again, drawing our attention to creation as the Spirit of God hovers over the surface of the water. And again, drawing our attention to Isaiah, where it says this in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, and freedom to prisoners. So the Messiah here at this point, Jesus, is being set apart. He is being anointed as the Messiah, recognized by the Son, or recognized to be the Son of God. So remember, John the Baptist, even though we didn't deal with it, John the Baptist sets Jesus apart calling out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. John sets Jesus apart. The town in which Jesus comes from, while it's a town that, that is not much information we know, Nazareth, Na, Nazareth, Nazareth sets Jesus apart. And now here we have the anointing of the Spirit setting Jesus apart as the Messiah. And so, we can repeat again, identity please. Here it is. Here is his identity. The coming of the Spirit of God resting upon him identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Identity here in this portion is very important. And then as uh, we continue, as you continue through the text, identity continues to remain important. So the heavens were torn. The Spirit of God rests upon our Lord. And then thirdly, a voice comes out of heaven. Now, even though Mark doesn't explicitly say that this voice is of the Father, that's clear that it is the Father, and this is what Jesus heard. You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Again, all three instances drawing our attention to the Old Testament. Think of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, Take your son, your one and only son, the son in whom you love, Isaac. Take him. Sacrifice him. Think about a psalm Chapter 2, when the psalmist writes, You are my son. God the Father speaking to the Son. You are my son. And then Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Surely Mark again is reiterating what we read in verse 1. The title that is given to the Lord Jesus Christ here, that Jesus 
is the Son of God. And so you can see that this section, verses 1 through 11, it opens with Jesus being the Son of God, or given that title, called the Son of God, and it closes with that same title. It's bookended with that phrase, Jesus is the Son of God. Some people call that, in academic circles, they call that an an inclusio. Brackets off the text. So the Father delights in the Son. Why? Because the Son has come to do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That He would rescue sinners. He's come to save those whom the Father has given Him. And so here, of course, we have in our text that glorious revelation of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as someone else put it. Here we have an intense manifestation of the presence of God. A theophany. God with us. Identity. Again, identity is a major theme. The identity of Jesus is real to us as the reader early on in the gospel. He is the Son of God. But as we work through the text, as we walk through the text, there's also some mysteries surrounding Jesus. Again, this theme of identity is it's clear here in our text that, that He is being proclaimed as the Son of God, declared as the Son of God, my Son, the one in whom my soul delights. And then verse 1 as well, so verse 1 and 11, we have the identity of Jesus. John identifies Jesus. The town in which Jesus comes from identifies Him. But there is a question. As you read through Mark, there is a question of Jesus' identity. Because Jesus, in various places in the Gospel, He tells people, think of... uh, uh, think of the uh, think of uh, if I'm not mistaken here. I'm just think, thinking of, of the demons. He tells the demons not to tell anyone who he is. He tells them to be quiet, to shut up. He tells uh, the man, uh, I believe, just a, a chapter over, who he heals, not to tell anyone who he is. So why this? The, if the identity of Jesus is so clear in chapter one, and I believe it is, why do we have Jesus? saying this throughout the gospel and again in theological circles or biblical circles this is called the the messianic secrets of the gospel of Mark where Jesus seems to hide his identity and tell his others to do the same but here again at the beginning of the gospel of Mark Mark leaves us no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is identified as the son of of God is identified in verse 1 again identified by John the Baptist the spirit of God comes and rests upon him identifying him as the Messiah and then we have the voice of the father this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased now we speak of Jesus as the son of God a distinction certainly needs to be made between the sonship of Christ and our sonship. He is by nature, Jesus is by nature a son. The Christian is a son 
not by nature. In fact, by nature, we're children of the devil. You are, uh, you are of your father, the devil. It's only by adoption that we are sons of the living God. Have you been adopted into the family of God and therefore identified by the Father? That the Father has set His love upon you. Yes, in eternity past, the Father is someone, probably you've, you've probably, heard, you've probably heard this before, the Father will not stop loving you because He has never started loving you. He's always loved you. At the same time, we cannot escape the fact that in time you were under the wrath and curse of God. There's a point in time in your life that you are born again. You must be born again, the Bible tells us. You have to be born again. Do you remember how the beloved disciple, in his first epistle, describes for us or, or just declares for us that we are children of God. He says this, See how great the love of the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then he goes on to say, And such we are. The children of God. Do you know if you've been adopted into the family of God? Do you understand as an adopted son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, do you understand the benefits that come from adoption? The resting of the Spirit of God upon you so that you day by day, day after day, hour by hour, minute by minute, are being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. Well, I began this evening speaking about our identity and how important it is. Identity is important. It's important to be identified as who we really are, right? We don't want to be a fake. We don't want to be a fraud. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Everyone agrees. Even if political gains are a distraction, everyone knows how important identity is. And what we have seen here this afternoon and this evening in this text is that Jesus has been identified. He himself identifies himself with sinners. And then he is identified by the Spirit as the Messiah. And he is identified by the Father as the sinless Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text and the identity of our Lord. He's been identified to us, for us, and again for our salvation. As the sinless Son of God, in whom there is no sin in whom there has been no deceit found on his, on his mouth, but one who humbled himself, taking upon himself flesh, and also identifying with sinners in his baptism, identifying with his community of sinners, 
identifying and being identified by our Father in heaven and by the Spirit, God resting upon him. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for him. We thank you for salvation. And we pray, O oh God, that we, as your people, would identify also, as our Savior has done, identify with sinners, that we may save some. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue.